This is Hawaii Rising, a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund. I'm Suyuno Amos. I'm Kenji Cataldo. Our guests today are Jesse Kekoa Kaho'one and Kim Kaho'one, who are leading a project to restore Kahalu'u Kuaheva. Kahalu'u Kuaheva is one of Kona's largest intact traditional agricultural field systems, preserved within a 354-acre area owned by Bishop Estate Kamehameha Schools. Over the past 20 years, archaeological surveys have documented at least 3,500 features, almost all of which are considered traditional agricultural features. In 2015, they began working to revitalize and restore this traditional system, which is now overtaken by invasive species such as strawberry guava and Christmas berry. Currently working under the auspices of Huliawa Pa'a, the Kalu'ulu project is working to create a sustainable resource to the local Kona community while preserving Vahikupuna. Jesse and Kim are also in the process of forming their own nonprofit to continue this work and reconnect Kanaka to Aina. Okay, so today we're speaking with Jesse and Kim Kaho'one from Huliawa Pa'a. Would you both just like to introduce yourselves? Yep. Uh, mahalo, aloha, kako. I'm Jesse Kekoa Kaho'one. Uh, I'm currently the site director at Kahalu Kuaheva. Oh, aloha, my kako. I'm Kim Kaho'one, and I am the site coordinator at Kahalu Kuaheva. Aloha, mahalo for having us, and we're stoked to be here. Awesome. Maybe if you could just give us a little bit of insight into kind of your roles with Huliawapa'a and, um, you know, what your current work is and current projects you've got going on. Yeah, my kai. So um, currently, uh, as I mentioned, Kim and I, we work for our site, um, Kahalu Kuaheva. Um, we've been working there, well, I've been working there since 2016, Um we have an interesting kind of relationship currently with Huliawapa, where they're more so of our um, fiscal sponsor in a way, but they've um, generously taken up the responsibility of hiring Kim and myself as employees um, while we kind of lay the framework for forming our nonprofit, which will eventually be Kahalu Kuaheva. Um, so Kahalu Kuaheva uh, is located in the Aupa of Kahalu, up Mauka, right up um, Donkey Mill Road in that area. And um, this land of Kahalu Kuaheva, which is considered to be a portion of the Kahalu field system, is actually owned by Kamehameha Schools Bishop Estate. And so um, over the past years, we've been working on contracts with Kamehameha Schools, um, and we've been forming our um, scope of work of how we want to revitalize this traditional agricultural system, um, which is the Kalu field system, existing in the larger Kona field system. Can you tell us more about Kahulu Kuaheva? Um, you know, just any mo'olelo you'd like to share, and also how, um, I guess, your relationship to this place that you've developed. Yeah, I, I guess a, a good way to start would be just to kind of tell our personal stories of how we got involved with Kahulu Kuaheva and um, taking care of that land up there. So in um, 2003 um, is kind of where our, our involvement starts in a way. Um, 
So in 2003, this land was going to be leased out to um, uh, one of the coffee farmers, one of the coffee lessees in the area. As we know, Kona is famous for their, their coffee farms and coffee land. And um, this aina in particular lays right within that, that uh, Kona coffee belt, which is some of the prime areas to cultivate coffee. So one of these lessees, they wanted to um, lease out this property. And at the time, they were required to do uh, an archaeological assessment of the land. Um, this portion is 350 acres. And so um, over the course of a few weeks, these archaeologists, they went through, they surveyed the property. And what they discovered was that there are approximately 4,000 traditional um, archaeological features within this 350-acre section of land, 98% um, of which are agricultural features. Um, so this is including Koivi rock walls, um, stone mounds, stone planters, uh, potential house sites, um, as well as water features and awai uh, that are being diverted to feed into patches and land um, to cultivate you know, the, the staple foods that our kupuna were growing in the past. Um, and so this ties into the mo'olelo um, relating to Kamehameha. So in, uh, 18, in 1812, Kamehameha, he arrived to Kona. Um, this is kind of closer to the end of his life, right? Because Kamehameha, he passes away in 1819. So in 1812, Kamehameha, he arrives to Kona to find the people in a great famine. Um, and one of the main reasons this is happening is because of the sandalwood trade that is occurring between the chiefs and, um, and the foreigners that are arriving to Hawaii. Um, so Kamehameha, he makes a kawoha, he makes an order to the chiefs, to the commoners, to everybody on the land to go up Malka and to recultivate these agricultural systems. And so um, he's the mo'i at the time, right? So everyone listens to what, what his kawoha is. And they go up Malka and they farm this vast system. Um, and the people are the one who gave it this name, Kuaheva. And it comes from uh, another saying, which is, Heva namaka ke nana aku. So um, if you guys are familiar with Hawaiian pigeon, um, maybe you've heard the term, broke the mouth. Yeah. Um, which is uh, a saying that we use for when we eat something good, yeah? When something is really good, really ono, we say broke the mouth. Um, the, the direct Hawaiian translation to that is heva kawaha, which means literally broke the mouth. The mouth is broke, the mouth is bust. So um, that, that kind of shows that, that Hawaiian way of thinking, yeah, where it's almost, um, you know, the opposite of really what you want to say. Like you have a big friend, you call him tiny. Um, you say heva, it can, it can really mean good, yeah? So, um, you know, when, when they had this saying, heva namaka ke nana aku, it's that the eyes bust from looking from one end of this mala, from one end of this garden to the other end um, because of its greatness and its vastness, which comes that word kua heva. Um, ku means to stand, ku means to exist, and again, ah heva, until it's bust, until it's broken because of how great and how large the system is. And so um, an interesting thing about Kuaheva is that um, throughout history, so a lot of our, our resources come from Hawaiian language resources, which are documented in um, Nupepa, which are documented in the Nupepa. They're documented in oral interviews, 
um, or Mo'olalo and Legends. Um, but what we find with Kuaheva is that uh, multiple sources give different uh, places to where Kuaheva actually was. So some people, they'll say Kuaheva was up in Lanihau, um, up in Kailua in the Mauka region over there. Some say it was as far down as Kainaliu, um, more down south Kona. And then some say it existed within the Kahalu and Keho region. Um, so what we kind of get from this, you know, if we, if we start to pull apart that mana'o of Kuaheva and what it means, um, you know, we call this great agricultural system in Kona, that our traditional agricultural system, we call it the Kona field system. But what we're um, almost assuming in a way is that Kuaheva is a term that can also be used to refer to that Kona field system. Um, and, and the reasoning that we use that term with Kahalu isn't because we, we think, you know, we found this area, this is Kuaheva for sure, um, and nobody else can use that name or term. But um, that's why we call it Kahalu Kuaheva, because it's the Kahalu portion of that Kuaheva system. Um, if you want to call it Lanihau Kuaheva, if you want to call it Kainaliu Kuaheva, you know, that, that's up to them to decide. But um, we chose Kahalu Kuaheva. And uh, the reasoning is because we, we know it exists within this 350-acre parcel. And I imagine when the day comes when we're able to clear out that 350 acres, if you stand at one end and you try and look to the other end of that 350 acres, you're going to say, because of how great and how vast and how large that system is. So um, we really use that term to honor and to carry on that mo'olalo of um, our kupuna's work. And so um, even when we bring groups through and we, we teach them about this mo'olalo of Kamehameha, um, for the most part, most of these features, these stone walls, these planters, um, haven't been touched for, you know, maybe 200 years, some of them, it's quite possible. Um, so when we come through and, and I remind, um, especially the keiki that come through, you know, th these are the pohaku that are kupuna moved, you know, these are the makainana, these are the ali'i, and it's even said Kamehameha himself would work in the upland fields, even in his old age. Um, so when we look at these pohaku, they're almost like the footprints of our kupuna, right? They're, they're the literal footprints that our kupuna walked, these pathways that they walked, these stones that they built. Um, so, so we need to kind of care for that aina, you know, these, these vahi kupuna, um, these cultural resources. We need to malama them with that intention that, you know, th these are our kupuna and um, we, we're standing in their presence and we have to give them that type of aloha that we would give our kupuna today. Um, but yeah, so that's a, a little bit about the Mohalalo of um, Kuaheva um, and where we stand. Uh, I, I think I went off on a tangent a bit, but. So in 2003, they did this study, <laughs> right? And they found all of these, these features. And so um, Kamehameha schools decided that it wouldn't be appropriate for them to allow uh, the coffee lessee to come through and to, to use the land to cultivate coffee because as we know, um, the typical practice for, for cultivating coffee is to grade, bulldoze the land, maybe run chain to knock down all the trees. But typically it's grading and clearing out all of those types of features, right? Because you want a nice level surface that you can go and cultivate coffee. And I think um, community schools that knew that this would be the case 
if they were to allow it to happen. So um, they decided to pull out, thankfully, um, and preserve this land, preserve this property. And so um, over some time, they were finally able to, to acquire it back into their hands, and they decided that they needed to come up with a new plan and a new way to malama this vahikupuna, to steward this vahikupuna. And so um, what they decided to do was to dive more into a more intensive study of the property. So um, in 2015, another study was completed at Kahalukuehava um, in a 24-acre parcel. So just a kind of small corner um, of that area was resurveyed again, but much more intensely this time. And so as a reference, when that first study was done in 2003, I said there was about 4,000 features that they found, and it averaged to about nine features maybe per every acre of land. Um, when this new study was completed in 2015, they found about 23 features per every acre. So almost triple the amount of features. Um, so when we think of, of you know, 4,000 features within the whole system, we imagine today that there's probably more so of like 12,000 features or even more than that. Because even today, as we walk through, we look at these maps that they created in 2015 and we'll stumble across sites where we're like, whoa, this one wasn't mapped in the, in the feature. You know, they must have missed it um, for whatever reason. You know, if it was overgrown at the time, if um, the invasives were, were too tightly packed together where they weren't able to get in and really do a, um, a study in that area. Um, you know, so, so we're seeing a lot more features than were originally described. And so um, KS started by clearing out um, interpretive trails. So one of their first initiatives was to create an interpretive trail where they could bring groups through and they could educate them on the works of our kupuna um, and the ingenuity of our kupuna and how they were managing the resources of their ahupua and how they were managing um, water in particular because we know Kona is, is not known for our, our waterfalls and our running streams, but they say, which is, um, there's the water in the eye of the cloud yeah, and the maka of the opua, because that's where our rain comes from. Yeah, I mean, that's where our water comes from, is through the rain, through the, the uanoi, um, through the water that bubbles up in springs, you know, more makai and throughout different areas. So seeing how our kupuna were managing these resources um, is important for us to understand today and how we, we plan to manage our land into the future. Um, and I think, yes, they, they really saw that as something really important. Um, so initially they were doing um, some clearings of the land. Uh, and in 2016, I got on um, because they were looking for uh, Menehune to do the small work. So the, the forestry guys would come through, they did a, a majority of the clearing, and then I would come through and I would um, build up you know, certain areas, um, prep the soil, and outplant our traditional crops, yeah, our, our indigenous crops like kalo, uala, maya, ava, um, and all of those, those sorts. And um, that's kind of what we've been trying to carry on and do today. And then Kim, she came on um, in 2020. Yeah, I came yeah. on in 2020. Um, originally, I think I came on just as a volunteer to Kako'o Jesse. You can <laughs> imagine um, this huge site 
at Court Havan, only one person, you know, really taking care of the Aina and being there, not even full time at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I would come and call Ko'o just to volunteer, either cutting the grass or helping him plant. Um, and I began volunteering a little bit more intensely during the pandemic, actually. It was kind of like our safe place where we could go mm -hmm. and and just find some kind of solitude over there. And so eventually I came on board as the kind of Aina education outreach specialist and now as the site coordinator. And Kekwa or Jesse mentioned that, you know, KS, they started, they saw the potential for all of the education that could be done at this site. And so they did a really amazing job at really kickstarting some of the educational groups that we have at Kuaheva. And so when I came on board in 2020, it was kind of just to, you know, kind of support and grow those kind of programs. And I mean, now we've been definitely taking off a little bit more in our programs. Um, I think that's something that we kind of lacked um, because we are, again, a newer kind of organization. And of course, not a lot of people know or at the time knew about Kuaheva and just the amazingness of that space. And so it was really increasing our visibility um, was something that we wanted to make sure that we did. Um, and really just kind of uplifting our community and showing them, hey, there's this space um, and this is for the community. So yeah, that's how I came on board. Yeah, and it was definitely tough at first because we had planned on bringing Kim on part-time right before the pandemic. And, you know, we were bringing a kind of steady, I think uh, less than 200 people, maybe we were bringing through each year. Mm -hmm. And um, we really wanted to up it. And as we were clearing more land, so currently we have maybe about four to five acres cleared. Um, and so during that time, we had a little bit less, but it was still a lot to manage as far as, you know, um, for myself to do the planning to do the grass cutting, to plan on how we were going to plant the, diff the different things and composting and getting all of that groundwork. And at the same time, trying to figure out, you know, how do we bring these groups in? How do we create this educational and outreach material? Um, and so we wanted to bring Kim on to kind of help out and carry on that load and um, to jump on social media, to jump on our website. But of course, the pandemic hit mm -hmm. and then it was kind of like, well, nobody's going to be coming <laughs> probably for a year or so. But um, it was nice because it gave us a chance to really um, build up on uh, some of those resources and to do more um, research into those mo'olelo and um, those historical contexts of what we could use for education and outreach. Yeah, kind of frame how we wanted to really support our community and what sources we could provide for them. And Julio Pa has actually been uh, a huge support through it all. Um, in terms of networking as and as well as bringing education to Kuaheva, we actually just finished um, our Vahikupuna stewardship program with them this summer. Um, every year they have this Vahikupuna stewardship of different interns um, in, in the different universities. And um, this year we got to be their host site and it, in, you know, not on top of them helping us or us helping them, they in turn kind of helped us to kind of inspire new goals for ourselves and, and mm -hmm. new programs, potential programs that we want to bring here in Kuaheva. It's awesome to hear that you've had that really robust support system and hear how things are taking off. I mean, it sounds like it's even with two of you, it's a, it's a really big kuleana 
that, that you've taken on. Um, could you describe more what the um, what it's like when you're bringing students out or bringing you know groups out um, onto the aina and sharing the mo'olelo and all of that? Can you describe what that experience is like for them? Yeah, so, um, you know, the interesting thing about Kona, we have our kipuka, yeah, we have our, our, our special places, we have our fish ponds and those kind of things. But I think as far as like an uh, agricultural base, you know, when we think of um, cultural places, um, you know, we don't have lo'i systems and stuff like that. And as I mentioned earlier, a lot of our, um, so pretty much everywhere that we know of as the Kona field system, um, for the most part, a majority of it has been turned into the coffee belt, right? That's what we know as today. Um, so when we bring groups up, um, keiki, when we bring up even makua and some kupuna, uh, they'll come up to our site. And as we're driving through all of these coffee fields and we make a turn and we come back down, um, many of them are, are really surprised that this place even exists. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a lot of times we get, oh, I didn't even know something like this existed in Kona because um, a lot of our, our people here in Kona, they haven't seen these Kuaivi walls, you know, these traditional walls. We have our ranch walls and we have a lot of our historical, more modern walls. But to see the Kuaivi walls that are Kupuna built um, long, long time ago and to see that they're still standing and they're still serving that purpose, you know, that they were built for, um, I think it really amazes a lot of people. And then as we walk through, um, you know, we'll go, we'll check out a few sites, which are pretty much still in the bush. A lot of uh, uh, the beginning, the entrance way of getting to our site, we go through the bush and then eventually we emerge into our, um, our cleared out field. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. is really just this pocket in the middle of an invasive forest <laughs> of uh, vivi and Christmasberry. But in this little kipuka, in this little pocket, um, we've cleared out, like I said, you know, four to five acres. And um, you can still see those kuaivi walls standing. And um, it has a different feel to it, yeah? It feels like a, like a pu'uhonua. Mm-hmm. It's like a safe space um, where we can practice our culture and we can talk about these kinds of issues and how we can uplift our lahui and how, um, how integral malama aina is to uplifting our lahui, yeah? To remember that we're part of this aina. Um, how can you aloha aina if you don't know what aina is or you don't know who aina is? Um, and so even for our kiki to get down on the ground and, you know, huki kalo, to pull kalo and plant it and to eat that poi, you know, maybe later on in that week. Um, so our, our we, we have enrolled all of our kids into the Hawaiian language programs. So Punana Leo and Ehunui Kamalino are where our kids go. And so when we were trying to reach out initially, um, those were kind of the, the schools or the groups that we were going for because we had formed those relationships with the parents and with the kumu. And um, I think Kim can talk a little more maybe about um, Punana Leo and how our partnership has kind of grown over the years with them. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, sure. So just like Jesse mentioned, um, we are pretty involved in our South Kona um, Hawaiian language community. We are both Makua um, to Keiki that go to Keikola Kaipuni Ehunui Kaimalino and Punanaleo Kona. So both immersion schools within Kona. And so, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer for us to reach out to them because 
we have kind of set this foundation of Olalo Hawaii for our, ourselves and our lives and for our keiki. And what better way to uplift our lahui and our keiki who are in this kaiopuni system. And so we have been able to network really well and to find kumu who, you know, are ready to malama aina and um, to really start this partnership. Um, on top of them coming to Kalu Kuahava, we've also been able to provide some ya'ai for them as well and going into the schools and doing, you know, like kuikalo days with them and, um, you know, and lahuki kalos where we are again harvesting that kalo and just showing them those different aspects of mahi'ai. And so um, this this year, actually, we are kind of in the planning and hopefully soon implementing stages of doing our first communal mala for Punanaleo Okona. They have a lot of different events that they do um, throughout the year, as well as um, a paina for La Pukakula. And then they also do a fundraiser where they sell Lao Lao. And we have been in, you know, in that in that hui where we're creating, making all this Lao Lao, making sure we have all of the materials that we need. So we saw the need for it. And um, just talking story with the kumu, it, it was a no-brainer for us to create this mala kalo for them um, as a source for them to use for, you know, the different fundraisers and the different um, paina that they choose to do throughout the year. And so we're really excited because this is kind of like a pilot of, you know, creating these communal individual mala for different hui or different ohana. And we can't wait to see how it evolves and expands. Yeah. And um, to jump back even to that mo'olalo of Kamehameha, so um, it said during that time, Kamehameha, he had ordered the development or uh, possibly the, the redevelopment or establishing on top of this older system. Um, but he had some rules, yeah, yeah. for the land. And the, the main rule or the main kawaha, uh, kanavaya, I guess, for that area would be, um, you know, for every... Kalo that you hook you out, you'll plant one back in its place. For every sugarcane stalk that you pull, you'll plant back in its place. Um, and he said, you know, this is how we'll keep this resource for our future generations. And um, we're trying to to incorporate that into what the future of Kahalu, what Kahalu Kuhava might be, um, which is to feed our lahui, yeah, to feed our, our, our community and be that that place of food sovereignty to be that place of food security um, for our community. And so um, I think it's it's an amazing and enlightening thing, especially for Keiki, when they they plant the huli, mm-hmm. they come back maybe a few months later, the year later, they see how it's grown and they hook it, yeah, and they pull out that kalo. And then they take that kalo and maybe a few weeks later, they're at their school and they're pounding poi with that kalo that they planted. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing for them to see that and to realize, you know, oh, we can we can grow our own food. <laughs> you know, we don't have to go to the store to buy food, but we can cultivate it on our own. And the, the resources and the knowledge is out there. Um, and so I think what we're really trying to do is just allow that opportunity um, and, and that hana to take place, you know. It's kind of like that. Um, if you if you build it, they will come. Kind of concept that we're trying out, um, which so far I, th- I think is has really worked. Yeah, yeah. And we've definitely gotten more hands on the ground, 
especially in the past <laughs> couple months only, I think. Yeah, since the beginning of January. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and it's just building that kind of ha'ahil in the keiki too. They get so proud of, you know, <laughs> being able to see that this huli that they've planted grow into something that can feed their ohana. And and that's just beautiful for us to see, you know, that's how we want to grow our lahui. With them thinking that kind of mana'o where this is possible and then being ha'ahil of, or proud of the work that they do. And then I guess just to touch up on that, just to continue with how we try to educate or provide these opportunities, not just for our keiki um, in the Kayolu, but also just people in general, is, um, which has helped us also in gaining our visibility, is providing more opportunities for them to come and create their own pilina with Kalu Kuaheva. So we began to incorporate monthly work days or even monthly work weekends when you get the chance so that there's more opportunities for people who want to come but maybe don't have um, enough time to either schedule a hui or maybe work one day out of the week providing them different opportunities for them to come and create that pilina um, has been super beneficial for bringing people back on the aina and again, increasing our visibility. So every single like third, maybe fourth weekend um, of the month, we always host community work days for people just to come down and, you know, put some hana in if they want to, or just come check it out, talk story and create their relationship with Kuaheva. It's been awesome. It sounds super cool. Um, I'm really struck by something you said kind of um, at first, Jesse was talking about the, um, you know, the the surprise kind of of being in an area and being used to seeing the coffee fields everywhere and seeing this other vision of what the area can can look like or, or what, it, what can be here. Um, it reminds me of, you know, I think of one of our other grantees this year is Mole Kumu, and they're based in Mililani where I live. And, you know, Mililani is this kind of weirdly suburban area. And to go to their spot and, and you know, that's what's so cool to me about Mole Kumu is that it's like, wow, seeing this in Mililani is really transformative. And, you know, I'm wrapping in all of our grantees here because we just had a conversation with um, Hawaii Peace and Justice and Kyle Kajihiro was talking about sometimes you have to like poke a hole in order to see the way forward and in order to see the future forward. And I don't know that, you know, I don't want to speak for him. I don't know that he was necessarily talking about it in this kind of context, but it feels like you both have taken the opportunity, this like really big opportunity to, um, yeah, provide that space for, for people to be able to like kind of look back like be in in not in the past but you know experiencing the kupuna right and the work of the kupuna and also have this vision forward um and you mentioned a little bit you know that you have this um desire for the future of kahalu kuaheva to be a um, source of food sovereignty for the lahui but i wonder if you both would just want to expand a little bit on your visions for the future of of Kahalu Kuaheva, of the Aina itself, um, of your programs there, of your work there. Yeah, my kai. I like to um, even thinking of it almost, almost as injecting, you know, Malama Aina or Aloha Aina into into this this modern society, you know, yeah. and we'll inject it in, and then it'll start to spread, yeah, um, in a good way. <laughs> Um, and it starts to spread out into the community. And as more people come and get to know it, 
you know, that idea and th- those thoughts of malamaina and alohaina to start to spread. And I think it also has to do with, um, you know, finding pride because for so long, our people in Hawaii were told, you know, the ways of our kupuna weren't, weren't the best, right? That our Hawaiian language, it shouldn't be taught. It has no value. The knowledge of our kupuna has no value. But um, when we look back and we see these places and we see how productive, you know, especially um, using our, our modern uh, methods of figuring out, you know, food production in these areas, um, we, we look back and we say, oh, no, like it has a lot of value because our kupuna were able to feed, you know, upwards of 20,000 people in, in, in this area of Kona. And um, today I think we have maybe around 50 thousand people living in Kona yet um you know we ship in a majority of our food and we aren't able to sustain ourselves so um there really is that knowledge in in our the ways of our kupuna and you know we have our Hawaiian language resources right we have our mo'olalo we have our stories we have our hula and we have all these different ways that our kupuna pass down knowledge um but when it's not there what do we do um, but we're fortunate because we have these koivi, mm-hmm. we have these planters, we have these water diversion systems. So uh, in a way, this is another way that our kupuna were passing down this knowledge and understanding. Um, and it's a, it's a map, yeah? It's a, it's a roadmap to figure out um, where to go in the future is by looking through the, these, these systems in the past. I like to mention how, you know, our koivi... They're not always straight walls. Sometimes they curve and they turn, but um, we know our kupuna knew how to build straight walls. So what are the intentions of the ways that they're building these things, you know? Um, Why are they putting mounds in certain areas and not in other areas? Why were they diverting water to this certain patch um, when it doesn't quite look like maybe an area that's uh, a good area to grow right now? But that just might be because of the changes of, uh, of modern times, you know, and the invasive species again that have taken over the area, um, which is another issue because a lot of these invasives like the Christmasberry and the Vivi, um, a lot of them are actually growing in the features. So, you know, even as we're speaking today, there might be a rock tumbling off of a feature because a root is continuing to grow in it, um, which I think it gives us a sense of urgency that we need to malamba these places before they're just rubble on the ground that have been destroyed from these invasive species. Um, so we're working on that simultaneously as we're learning from the areas and, and trying to create a framework to teach our future generations and to um, see how these systems can tie in to our modern issues of things like food security, food sustainability, um, even education, you know, introducing place-based, aina-based education um, is definitely another aspect that we're trying to incorporate into what we do at Kahalu Kueheva. Um, creating that opportunity where we can teach classes outside of the four walls, right? Where, um, you know, the, the knowledge that they learn is applicable to what they're doing. I think to add on to that too, and taking them beyond the four walls of, of schools, we're also trying to not, of course, that's kind of the main goal of our of our Aina education program and, you know, just uplifting our keiki, but also 
bringing it to them as well in mm-hmm. their for you know in, within the school system um we know that you know the DOE there's so many teachers who already have so much on their plate mm-hmm. and um maybe they want to incorporate you know an education within their their curriculum but they've got so much on their plates they don't know how to to really in, integrate that kind of education um w- into their classrooms and so for us, another huge thing we've been doing is how do we retain all of this kind of information that we've been, you know, taking in, especially with our interns and, and creating this curriculum? How do we create a curriculum that would benefit our teachers? And so it makes it easy for them to want to integrate Aina education um, within their classrooms. And and so we're trying to kind of come at, in it at all aspects, you know, within the classroom, with outside of the classroom, you know, even beyond social media, trying to provide these different education opportunities. And then um, also in terms of just being able to feed our kiki, how can we provide them, you know, kind of that quote unquote farm to table kind of where, you know, we're integrating this kind of education and they're reaping the benefits of all of this um, that they're learning. Yeah, Uh, all the kalo that we're planting and teaching them how to grow bringing it into the school system, seeing how we can work with the different schools to put that on their tables and put that for our kiki to be fed. Um, we also are trying to clear out a bottom portion um, of our site right now to create a Kalulu system, which, you know, um, just creating this kind of breadfruit belt, this ulu, or, or kind of a representation of what that breadfruit belt looked like in Kona um, within our site. And, you know, it takes at least, what, five years for us to actually produce that hua'ai for, um, to feed keiki or just to feed our community in general. And so, you know, creating those relationships right now um, with the different school systems um, is super integral for us so that when that breadfruit is ready, when that ulu is ready, they have a home to go to. We can feed the, um, feed the different school school programs. We can feed just our keiki and our kaiulu in general. And I think that's just one of the many, you know, future kind of goals for us is feeding our kaiulu, feeding our community. So... Kahalu Kuaheva is 350 acres, you know, um, it's a lot. It's definitely a lot for us now. But when we look at what this field system really could be and the potential of the entirety of this field system, it's way more than just 350 acres. Um, so what I think we can also be is a model for that um, integration of modern technologies and indigenous knowledge and how we can form that into something where, you know, maybe someone leases out a land of coffee land and they decide to build Kuaivi. You know, they decide to build stone planters and they they reconvert. I think um, if we can get to a point where people want to reconvert their coffee lands into Kona field systems, um, then I think we, we, we can say we made it. <laughs> awesome. I love that. I love all of those visions and future goals. Um I guess, is there just anything else that you folks would like to share um, that we haven't touched on yet? I think we just like to, um, you know, we like to mahalo all the people who have been supporting us over the years. Um, we've been fortunate 
that Kias has been so supportive of us and has constantly worked to make these contracts and this work happen. Where um, I mentioned to a lot of people, if five years ago our work was dependent on what we were producing, um, I don't think we would have been there for long. But it's because we had that support that we can get it to that point where, you know, okay, now we can start producing. And um, now we can start finding ways where we can be self-sufficient in how we fund ourselves and how we go about our work at Kahalu Kuehava. But it's all thanks to um, support from places like Kamehameha Schools and Hule Opa and HPF <laughs> for giving those um, those fiscal sponsorships to allow us to do the work that we can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully more in the future, you know, whoever wants to help and support us in what we do at Kahalu Kuehava. This is our future mahalo. <laughs> mahalo for doing this important work and for speaking with us about it. It's been so great to hear about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. mahalo for showing interest and allowing us to come and talk story with you guys. We really appreciate it. Hawaii Rising is a podcast from the Hawaii People's Fund produced by me and me with additional support from Mickey. Our theme music is Revolutionary from the band Ukla the Mock, written and sung by Mickey Hui Hui. A big thank you to our community supporters and to you, our audience, for listening. Ahui ho!